So 1 Peter chapter 1, so if what is, is apprenticeship, what Jesus is calling us into, he's saying, hey, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's the invitation, right? To the early disciples, I think it's still the invitation to us today. Come and follow me. I will transform you. I will make you. Transformation, right, that occurs in Jesus, in relationship, into fishers of men to do that, which I've done with you, right? So he literally catches his disciples. I'll, I'll make you into people who do the same sorts of things. So if, if the what is apprenticeship, then the how, I think, is spiritual formation in the way of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I want to look at that this morning. This morning? Afternoon? Where are we? When are we? Um, First Peter chapter 1. So uh, I think you guys are probably familiar with this passage. Um, this is the passage where um, Peter quotes God in, in that moment when God says, Be holy as I am holy, right? Um, I don't know about you, that was always a really intimidating verse for me. Um, sometimes context helps us, sometimes it hurts us when it comes to the sometimes verses that we've loved that are a little bit more difficult in context. Always good, always life-giving, but a little more difficult. Sometimes they're a little more approachable. I hope this is the second one. I hope that, that be holy as I am holy, you see as an invitation by God into relationship and into transformation. And on the other side of that, it allows us to be holy as he is holy. Right. So 1 Peter chapter 1, again, just, just in context. The what is apprenticeship, the how is spiritual formation. This is what Peter says. This is a picture of life um, and a picture of our life as we walk in discipleship with King Jesus. So um, starting in verse 13, Peter says this. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. So it's helpful just for a second. Let's stop. He says, hey, be fully alert. Be aware, set your minds on the grace that is coming, that you've already experienced in Jesus, but that is coming ultimately in its fulfillment when Jesus comes again in the fullness of the kingdom, right? Again, that kingdom language, not when we go to heaven, but when the kingdom of heaven comes fully, is brought fully to bear on the place that we find ourselves now. He says, think about that, put your mind on that, focus on that. He says, verse 14, as obedient children, we all love that word, obedient, right? As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. See, we're talking about transformation here, right? This is when you lived in ignorance, it's a tough word, this is when you didn't know the way of Jesus, when you didn't know the things of God, when you didn't, hadn't experienced the kingdom, he said you had some evil desires that you leaned into, right? Jesus comes, you meet him, you know him, all that changes. He says, don't live, in, don't live as you used to live. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so the one who's calling you into life is holy, he says, be holy, because I am holy. And we'll jump down to verse 22. Now that you have, read verse 17 to 21, they're really good, but just for today. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, you see the connection between obedience and transformation, that we accept, we follow, we step in, and we're transformed, so that you have sincere love for one another, there's life in community, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So I think Peter is saying a couple things that are really helpful. And then we'll jump into this paradigm. The first thing is this. As we walk in discipleship to Jesus, we must be alert. So this is the very beginning. It says, be alert. 
says, with minds that are alert, set your hope on the grace that come with you. I think that's really important for us because the truth is, unless we're alert, aware of the things that play around us, we miss the invitation to discipleship. You guys have the worst seat in the house. I'm really sorry about this. Um, unless we're alert to what's happening, we miss it, right? He says, be alert, be sober. Not that they were drunk, but the idea of sobriety in your full sort of senses, being able to look out and say, hey, this is what's happening around. He says, be alert, be awake, be aware. The truth is that if, unless we can come to see that there are stories and narratives, there are kingdoms and powers competing for our hearts and for our souls, for our allegiances, we can't walk in with Jesus. We have to see it, we have to come alert, we have to be alert, alert to it and come awake to that reality. There are things that are vying for your hearts, in my heart, in our loves, our habits, and there are things that are competing for those, and unless we are alert and awake, we can never follow Jesus into a different vision for life, because we're just unaware of what's happening around us, right? The truth is, there's there's no standing still. I don't know how you guys feel this or not. I, I'm at a certain, I'm at an age where like a lot of my peers are saying like, oh, this is this is kind of what we got, you know? Like a lot, of, a lot of my friends are married, have kids, have jobs. Like this is this is it. Like I'm just cruising until I don't know retirement or whatever, right? The truth is, there's no standing still in life. We like to think that we're just kind of like, on, like we're in a car, we're sort of on a flat spot, we put the car in neutral, we'll just roll, right? Um, we'll just stay there. We'll, we'll the truth is, all of the cars of our lives are parked on wheels. And if we put our car in neutral, we're going to go somewhere because gravity works. And we're going to be, we're going to be, there are forces external to us that are working on us and moving us in a direction, even if we're unaware of it, even if we're not alert and aware of it, even if we're not awake to it. That we're all being moved. And you especially the moment you find like think about all the things that are the stories that are competing for your interests and your hearts. Like we're all being moved, we're all being shaped by forces that are external to our lives and to our wills. We're all being moved, we're all being formed, we're all being shaped into something and unto something. So we're telos that we that we talked about earlier. What's the telos of the story that is ultimately giving meaning to your life? Think about it. Like what story are you living into is the story of we'll talk about it in a minute, but materialism, consumerism, the American dream stories about consensuality or purpose or vision for your life. Like, what is the telos? What is the ultimate end goal of the story that you're ultimately being shaped by? It's a question worth asking. And another question I'd like you to wrestle with this, even this weekend as you go home is, is what would it look like if we came awake, as, as Peter is inviting us to, to come awake to that which is forming us spiritually? If we were able to come awake to the stories that are ultimately shaping us. So the first thing, Peter says, to walk in discipleship, you must be alert. You have to be awake. You have to know, you have to understand that there are things that are competing for your allegiance. That's why Jesus talks so much about um, you can't serve two masters, right? He says you either love one, hate the other. He says you can't serve both God and money or any other belief or value system. Right? It doesn't work. We were talking about that a minute ago. Um, the second reality is that to walk in discipleship to King Jesus, you have to choose. And we don't like this. Like This sounds legalistic, right? If you grew up in church, I don't know you all stories, but man, it seems kind of like, oh, I don't know. Jesus chose me. I don't have to choose. It's like Peter says you have to choose. You have to choose. Now you're choosing Jesus. Like, you're choosing to walk in the way that Jesus is inviting you. You must choose the way of holiness. And we choose, of course, because of God's spirit and his grace in our lives. Like we don't do it by our own effort. We don't choose Jesus like by our own strength. But the, the, the fact is that we can choose Jesus because of his goodness and his love toward us, right? Because of the love of the Father that we experience, we can say, I want that. I choose that way of life. I choose that way of living. And we must choose it, right? But it's interesting that Peter, for that uh, example, he uses the, uh, the the word picture of obedient children. He says, you can choose to be an obedient child or a disobedient child. And I go, that, that's, that's like really interesting to me because um, 
because choosing obedience is something I would normally think about, right? That I choose to be obedient. And I don't choose to, obe- to, to be obedient to the Father out of, I don't, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but it's not out of, out of coercion. It's not out of, I have to, or he's going to get mad at me. That we choose to be obedient because we know it's hard toward us, right? That's what I was talking about this morning. When we spend time with the Lord, it's like easy to choose him. He's a good dad. He's also a good king, right? Some of us have really good relationships with our fathers. Some of us don't. And so it's difficult. We start talking about choosing a relationship with a, with, with a God who chooses to identify himself as our father, right? But the truth is we can choose him because we trust his heart toward us, because we've experienced him in that place of prayer and that, that sort of rhythm that Jesus invites us into. Does that make sense? So we choose him. We don't earn it, but Peter says we've come awake in Jesus to the forces that are that are operating on us externally, and then we choose differently. We choose the way of obedience to a good father because we know it's hard for us, and we know that he, he longs to give us good things. Um, we become aware of the evil desires that, that, are, that exist in us, and now we reject them. We choose the way of Jesus, which is different. You see what's happening here. And then finally, so to be... To be disciples of King Jesus, we have to be alert. We have to choose the way of Jesus. You know, accidentally just wake up more like Jesus. That's all happens. As a matter of fact, there's, a, there's other forces at work that we're going to talk about. We don't just wake up being more holy. We don't just wake up being more in love with God. We don't just wake up being more on mission, right? We choose it. And the truth is that as we choose the way of Jesus and the way of love, we are transformed. And that's the beauty, right? That Jesus does the transforming. We don't do it. It's fascinating to me the invitation of Jesus and the discipleship is to come, to follow. And he will make us, right? Because I will make you. You don't make yourselves. The Jesus doesn't transform him, but it's in the context of a relationship and committed um, choosing the way of Jesus. And that we are empowered to love each other, Peter says, out of the overflow of God's love for us. Deeply from the heart, authentically compelled toward one another in love. And the truth is the result of discipleship in this way, it's fascinating to me, is, is rebirth, right? It's a, it's a transformation that is so radical that the only way that, they, that Peter can talk about it is in the context of being born again. I think that moment when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, I think. Don't quote me on that. John 3, yeah. And he says, hey, Jesus, what do I got to do to go to heaven? And I see this like, weird paradigm thing. He's like, what do I got to do to inherit the king? Like, what do I got to do? And Jesus is like, you got to be reborn. He's like, I'm old. Like, you know how this works? Like, that's not happening. That's not on the table. What Jesus is saying is that you must be completely like, transformed to the degree that it would be like you were born again. Right? It's this beautiful picture, right, um, of, of the newness of life that comes find our purpose in our life caught up in the story of Jesus. There's another place in the Testament where um, the, the, I think the English is until Christ is formed in you kind of thing. But that language is like literally like a baby like being formed in its mother's womb. It's the picture, right? That, 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 that something is happening in us. That Christ is being formed in us. That God is doing a work in us. And it's so completely transformational that we are we are being made into the image of Jesus. And Jesus is being formed in us. It's an amazing picture, right? And that's the formation and the transformation that happens as we, as we walk in discipleship. So we must be alert, we must choose, and we are transformed in that, right? So I want to talk about that just for a minute this afternoon and kind of leave you guys with a paradigm that I think uh, we're teaching through as a church. I have it like on my computer. I look at it all the time. It's helpful. It's not mine. I didn't come up with it. There's a church in Portland called um, Bridgetown Church. A pastor there called Nick Call. I'm in English now. I have friends who are from England. They say Call, not named. So um, I was talking to them on the phone, so I think that's why I said that. But there's a pastor there named John Mark Homer. He does really good work. I would recommend they do, but they came up with this paradigm that's really helpful. So, like, we teach it at our church, we teach it in our small groups, like, we talk about spiritual formation in this way um, a lot. So, I think it's really helpful. And we'll walk through it. I was going to give you, I was going to put it on the screen, but no internet. So, let me hold it up. So, this is it. Um, if you just want to draw a triangle, it's probably helpful. 
So, uh, when, we, when, I, when I say spiritual formation, this paradigm is what I'm, I'm talking about. And obviously it's not the, the be-all, end-all, like there's more to be said, but this is, uh, this is it. So I'll walk you through it, but you can draw a triangle for right now. And what we're trying to look at is, okay, um, there are two realms of spiritual formation. Like I said, we're all being formed. We're all becoming someone. Um, whether or not we like it, whether or not we're aware of it, we're all being shaped and moved by forces and stories and things that are external to us, right? And so unintentional spiritual formation, that's the first paradigm we're going to talk about. I mean, this is what happens to you when you wake up on Monday, you go to class, this is how ETK is forming you, this is how your, your friend groups are forming you, this is how people, are, I can give you, I can email you this or something, you can share it with your life if you want later. Um, this is how we're being formed, whether or not we know it. These, these are the things that we have to come awake to, Peter would say, this reality, right? So the first thing, um, when we talk about spiritual formation, what do we mean? Um, the truth is, unintentional spiritual formation is the way, is the way culture disciples us. So we're going to be all in the kingdom of Jesus. We have to be aware of the way the culture is trying to make us disciples. Does that make sense? The way our cultural moment is discipling us. And all that means is it's teaching us about life, right? And so just begin to think, what does culture say about life? What is culture, what is our moment, what is our world, what is, you know, UTK or, or wherever? Is that how you guys say I don't even know. Is that it? How do you, how do you guys say it? Like, what's the thing? Like, UTC. UT. Sorry. Where's the UTC? Yeah, you, where do you can see? So I get it. It's cool. Yeah, you guys need to be in I don't know. I have any of it. You see, I don't know. I made a video out of that. Little um, mocks, I guess, or whatever. Uh, which are they? A shoe? Are they a bird? I don't know. Um, we have to come awake to that reality, right? So, how are we being shaped? How are we being discipled? How are we apprenticing under a vision for life that is antithetical in so many ways to what Jesus is calling us to? That makes sense. We have to come awake to that. So, the first thing that shapes us, there are kind of three realities. So if you want to put one corner of the triangle, the first thing that disciples us or that shapes us or that spiritually forms us are the stories that we believe about life. We're going to contrast this paradigm with what Jesus says about life here in just a second. Okay, so this is the way that we're discipled by the world around us the stories that we believe about life. The truth is that we all live inside of stories, right? Anybody a philosophy major? Really? <laughs> so, you're smarter than all of us. Um, uh, philosophers talk about meta-narratives. Sto- stories that give meaning to other stories, right? They're stories that kind of sit on top of stories and give meaning, right? We all live in meta-narratives. We all live under stories that are giving our lives meaning. This is really important, right? Because we were created to live in a story. This is why things like Lord of the Rings or other stories twilight i don't know any story right it gives a, it gives it gives meaning we find ourselves caught up in because it's a really good story because we were created why avengers is a thing right because there's a really like good story we're all we're all we were made to live into a story we were created to live into a story a theologian that i like his name is um christopher Wright. he says that we are we are a story people that you could that, that any human being will, will seek to make meaning out of their out of their moment out of their life that we live into a story, right? So you think about the stories that we're living, that we're living in, right? What, what are some of the stories that we're living in that are shaping our lives? I mean, anything can be a story. Consumerism is a story, right? What's the story of consumerism tell you? Keep buying things. Keep buying things, and what happens? You'll be happy. You'll be happy. That's a story. It's a story that's led to things like planned obsolescence. That's why your iPhone goes bad every two years. I'm not trying to, like, hate. But it's a story because the more you consume, the more value you have, the more money you make, the more you're worth. Right? It's a story that's giving meaning, giving meaning to life. And I'm not trying to say that all these stories are bad and that's not helpful. But, but 
but not every story has to be a bad story. It can just be less than the story that God's calling you into, which is your beloved son or daughter of the king made for God's glory and your joy to participate with him in the renewal of all things. That's a really good story. These stories aren't to be bad. They just can be less than that story, right? Or what about, um, about the story of human sexuality that's playing itself out around us right now? You find value in relationships and worth and image and whatever. That's a, that's a story about what you were meant to do and who you're meant to be and where your life is going. Right? So we're all story people, we're all living stories. We have to become aware of them. What we believe about life really matters, is what I'm saying, right? So when we're when we're uncritical of those things, we're not when we don't come awake to them, when we don't discern them, they can influence us and they can move us to a place that we don't even know where we're going. Does that make sense? They can they can push us toward a telos that we don't necessarily want to go to. Or I would say to you, if I named it, you would say, I don't want that. <laughs> like I don't want to be a slave to making money and buying things, right? But we get caught up in it because it's a story that we've given ourselves over to. So the first part, the first thing that, that shapes us is forms us spiritually, we're not aware of the stories that we believe. The second one are the, is the habits that we live into. It's really important. The second part of the triangle is the habits that we live into. Um, most of us, I think we would like to be romantic enough to think that we, we do things based upon what we believe and what we love. That's just that's not true. I can prove it to you, right? Who likes black coffee? Who always, from the moment they ever, the first time they drank it, liked it? There's always, always one. <laughs> Most of us, in this example, work our way toward liking black coffee, right? It's an acquired taste. Some of you are on the journey still. Some of you want to because it's cool and you want to drink craft coffee and pour overs and those things. If you come to Chattanooga, that's what you have to, or else you're like not hip, so you have to learn. Um, I have, we have an associate pastor at our church, and he, he tells the story of like wanting to like black coffee so much. Like he drank coffee before, black hated it. Somebody was like, "Hey, if you go to this barista parlor in Nashville, if you've been there, if you go to barista parlor, you will love this because it has notes of blueberry and citrus and all these things. Like it's gonna be this like the greatest drink of all time." He drank it, hated it. It's terrible. He's like that's a lie. Um, he began a process of saying, "I want to, I want to love black coffee," and so he would put like seven creamers in his coffee. And as he, as he drank coffee with seven creamers, do you know Brooks? You guys know Brooks from church? He preaches sometimes. Anyway, he's hilarious. But he's like seven creamers, then he's like, oh, now only five, now only three. Like he, 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 he habituated himself into liking black coffee. And the truth is what we do shapes what we love. No one within it, I, I, don't, I don't say this lightly. Um, I have a lot of people that I love that, that have various addictions. No one wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I want to be addicted to something. Right. There's some stories that they believe about life that are happening. There's some traumas or things that are happening. There's also this thing that is true that when we do things, it shapes that which we love. That we are habituated into something. So what we do regularly does something to us. Our habits shape shape our law, our loves and our longings. That's James K. Smith, the theologian. He says that our habits shape our loves. And they shape our longings. Um, and this is why I think as disciples of Jesus, we have to commit to doing the things that Jesus did. We can't just commit to learning the things that he said, but to doing the things that he did. Because in doing the things that Jesus did, we come to love Jesus more. We come to be more like him. Um, uh, yep, cool. Let's jump on ahead. Um, does that make sense? The truth is what we love has more effect on our lives than what we know to be true. Think about it. You can say you believe something. But ultimately what expresses what you ultimately believe in love is what you do. I can say I love my wife, but how I treat her ultimately demonstrates whether or not that, that 
truth that I say I have is true. Um, the third area that shapes us in, in, unintentionally, if we're not even critical of it, just all the time, at all, every moment this is shaping us, the stories we believe, the habits we live into, and the relationships that we're a part of. Uh, everybody knows this is true because everybody probably had a grandma or an aunt or somebody say that if you hang out with sheep, you're going to smell like sheep, right? That's the way, she would, that's the way my grandma would say it. It's just the truth, it's just common wisdom that the relationships we're in shape us. The really interesting thing is uh, that we start to become like the people that we spend time around, but the truth is we also choose the people that we spend time around based upon what we like, right? So this is a reinforcing sort of circle. All of that, so in the middle of the triangle, all of that, the stories we believe, the relationships that we're a part of, the habits that we live into, all of that happens in a context, in an environment, right? This is really important because those things are shaping us in the context of an environment. Uh, for me, that's the environment. There's a lot of environments. It can be online, it can be friend groups, it can be the city you live in. For us in Chattanooga, I just, Chattanooga is a formation machine. If you're from Chattanooga, you know this, right? So all of that happens over time, day by day, year after year, not all at once. But the truth is, a lot of our college, a lot of college students in Chattanooga move to Chattanooga, um, and then you know, all of a sudden, two years later, they find themselves drinking third wave coffee, wearing Blundstones, with a paddleboard strapped onto the top of their Subaru. Right? Like <laughs> these kids are from like Detroit. <laughs> it's like we've got Chacos now, you know? Like, what are you doing? Um, but all of that, they're being formed in an environment. And the environments that are part of our formation engines, like I'm sure that Knoxville's the same way, right? They, I mean, you just think about what's somebody who comes to Knoxville, like what, what, what do they leave like, right? Like the, the context, the environment that all is happening in, it happens to us, and we don't realize, but at the end of the time there, you look back like, oh, I now own a Subaru and have a paddleboard, and let's see how this happens, right? All that's happening, but we're not aware of it at the moment. We're becoming a certain kind of person, being shaped, being formed spiritually by the environment we find ourselves in. Um, all of that happens over time and through experience. It's a process, right? Discipleship, apprenticeship is always a process, whether it's the Jesus or anything else. It's a process that happens over time, not all at once. So the problem is we get all excited, at least I did a lot of my life. I get all excited about Jesus, I'm going to change, right? Like, now, this is the moment. That's great. The conviction is a really good thing. But does it have the, the, the power to, to push us into a process of discipleship? Y'all have been being discipled by culture and by stories and by relationships for years and years and years. And Jesus is inviting you to, to pick up a different kind of formation to walk with it, right? So the all-in needs to be on a journey. Um, does that make sense? All right, so if that's what happens to us, it can be a little daunting because that's what's happening to us every day that we wake up, unless we choose something different. So what does it look like to choose something different? Um, you can draw another triangle. Remember, Peter says that you choose to be obedient children, right, of a good father. So be obedient, choose it. Intentional, intentional spiritual formation. So the first paradigm is unintentional. The second one is intentional. Intentional means I wake up and I choose the way of Jesus, right? It doesn't mean always perfectly. It doesn't mean always completely. But I'm choosing Jesus to live today into what you say about life. It's choosing the way of Jesus. And unintentional spiritual formation happens to us because it happens. I'm telling you, you're not going to wake up tomorrow with all the good intentions in the world and be more like Jesus until we choose the way of Jesus. How do we do that? Well, the first, the first part of the intentional spiritual formation paradigm is, is teaching. So teaching, put it on the same place in the, in the triangle you put stories. Because the teaching of Jesus is ultimately what gives meaning and purpose and vision to our lives. Right? The stories we believe about life shape us on attention. But we say, Jesus, I choose to live into your vision for life. Then, there's, then the teaching of Jesus challenges the stories that we have come to believe about what's true. 
it counters that part of unconditional spiritual formation. What I, what I mean by that is this, that what Jesus says about life challenges the things that we've come to believe, whether we're aware of it or not, right? So Jesus says, in a culture, to a culture of self-actualization and fulfillment, and you knew you, and YOLO, and all that stuff. Is that still a thing? I don't know the thing a little bit. Into that cultural moment, Jesus speaks and he says, you know what? Um, this is actually what's true about life. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And he, and he says things like, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. You see how the teaching of Jesus is now challenging the narrative that says, you do you, right? This is actually the, in the true picture of life, and, and so you may step into human flourishing. I came to show you what life is like and, and meant to be like and meant to be lived, and it means serving. Because the Son of Man came out to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a teaching of Jesus that challenges a cultural norm and a story that we've come to believe about life. Or in a, story, in a, in a world shaped by capitalism, Jesus says, hey, um, actually don't store up treasures on earth. So a story about building barns, right? He says, hey, um, this guy had a lot of stuff. He built barns, and that very night his soul demanded of him, and so who's going to get the stuff, right? He, it's not saying the stuff is bad in and of itself. What he's saying is there's, a, there's an orientation toward things that you have to challenge if you're going to step fully into God's picture of life. Right? So teaching of Jesus that challenges those narratives that are sometimes uncritically accepted. In a world of sexual freedom, Jesus says, hey, self-control is actually the way uh, in the path of life. Right? In a world of revenge, right, Jesus says, actually, it's forgiveness that leads you into human flourishing. And, and those are all things that we can affirm. as like Teaching isn't everything, but it is something. And the way that Jesus talks about life really challenges some of the stories that we believe about, about life. Does that make sense? Um, Romans 12, right? We'll read it a little bit later. That, but, um, but Paul says, hey, be transformed. Transformation comes through the renewing of your mind, through aligning your mind with what Jesus says is true about life, and what the church says is true about life. And there's implications there that are really far-reaching. So I encourage you to expand that, explore that, think about that. Uh, the second part, um, so where you put habits on the triangle, put practices. So these are the spiritual practices that Jesus invites us into. We'll go quick, guys. I know it's after lunch and pretty tired. But um, intentionally practicing the way of Jesus counters our unexamined habits. That's so where we're not careful. We get into legalism and things like that, right? Don't read your Bible because somebody told you it was a good idea and you'd be in trouble if you didn't. Read your Bible because in reading your Bible, it shapes the kind of person you're becoming. You don't just pray to get time in, right? So the guy's not mad at you. It's a terrible, like, under, like, we pray so that we might be in contact with the one who, like, who's calling us into life whose vision for life we want in our hearts, right? Does it make sense? So the things that we do, the practice of Jesus, when we do the things that Jesus did, we're made more into the image of Jesus, right? We're shaped by those sorts of things that are the things that we do shape who we're becoming. Um, and this takes a lifetime of practice in community. The truth is we don't simply try really hard for a couple of weeks and then suddenly become people who love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Think about I have a, so I have a two-year-old named Maddox. Um, they call him toddlers for a reason. Uh, he doesn't, he's not very good at walking. He's figuring it out, but he falls all the time. Um, and, and how ridiculous would it be if I looked at Maddox? Like, how bad of a dad would I be if I looked at Maddox and I said, hey, dude. So I talked to him. He said, hey, I just need you to walk better. Like, try harder to walk. <laughs> like, how bad of a dad would I be? You know what Maddox needs? He needs a, a process and a place in which he can learn to walk, in which he can try it, take up steps and fall. And go downhill, fall, roll, get back up, try it again. Right? Like he needs that. It's a, it's a practice, it's a process, it's a habit that he's developing so that he might learn to walk. I would be a terrible father. I was like, hey, just try harder. You can't walk in two weeks, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. But what is that, right? 
But that's what we do sometimes, at least I do, with my own spirituality. I mean, I didn't try really hard for a couple weeks. Like, I'm not the kind of person who, the fruits of the Spirit are not things that we, that we earn. The fruits of the Spirit are a result of the presence of God's Spirit in our lives. I mean, how, much, how, how many times in my life I've like, I just need more patience. I'm going to try harder to be patient. It's like, maybe I should just try harder to be in, in, in like, relationship with the Spirit and see what happens, right? But maybe I should be in, process, maybe I should be in proximity to the Spirit of God and say, like, God, would you give me this gift? Would you give me this fruit? Would you bear this fruit in my life? So the habits, things that we do, put us in, in position to say, okay, hey, how can I practice the way of Jesus when it comes to patience? What can I do? Um, maybe it means getting in the longest line at the grocery store. Did Jesus develop in me a patience? It means not passing the person in traffic that I don't pass. I don't know. What, is, what are the things that we can do? It can be as simple or as, um, as complex as we want to make it. Um, we, don't try, we don't become disciples by trying hard. We become disciples by training. By training. When we pray, when we fast, when we meditate on Scripture, when we learn the story of Jesus, when we serve, when we confess, we are putting into place habits that as we practice them, more and more our hearts and lives are bent more toward heaven. More toward the reality of the kingdom of God. And then finally, the last part where you have relationships with community, and this is really nuanced, but I think it's really, really important. Um, because the truth is that in our, in our cultural moment, in an unintentional spiritual formation, relationship is self-selected based on preference. Think about it. Think about your friendships. Think about the people that you want to be with. I'm not saying you're bad people. We all do this, right? We want to be, the, we want to be with the people that we like and that are like us. The truth is, that's fine. That's not always bad, right? The truth is that it's easy. If it's good, I'll ride. If it's not, I'm out. Anybody have friendships like that? Like, I'm here for as long as it's good for me. When it starts to get difficult, or you have a problem, or you get mad at me, and suddenly it just vanishes. <laughs> Somebody texted me this morning, like, we're not going to church anymore. I was like, cool, thanks, awesome. Um, it's just, it's the reality, right? It's just, I'm not saying they're a bad person, I'm saying that's like, that's just the truth of human relationships. It's hard. The truth is, um, you can't ghost the Christian community. But Jesus invites us to something that's a little bit more rugged than that, a little bit more committed than that, a little bit thicker than that. The community is a group of people, in the way of Jesus, is a group of people that we have decided to be with and to follow Jesus with. And this has massive implications for this community, right? That I've chosen to be with you, you've chosen to be with me, we've chosen to pursue Jesus together. And that sense of community will challenge and transform our vision of relationship. And it will make us people who can follow Jesus together, right? Um, because the truth is, uh, if we can choose to be in a relationship, then you can choose to be out of it. That's why friendship isn't the picture of Christian community in New Testament. It's family. It's family. I was writing a teaching for tomorrow for our church from a community. And the truth is, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you are being built. Think about this. He says the, the words of the prophets and the apostles are the, are the foundation that you as the church are being built into a building that is held together by Jesus Christ himself. And you're being built into a temple where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. And I go in a, in a season when like community and friendship and all that is like so shaky and so uncertain and so unstable. Paul says you are being built by God himself, into a community. And when you're built in something, you don't just choose to walk away from it. If we can choose to be in a relationship, we can choose to be out of it. We need something in the way of Jesus. We're going to walk in discipleship. And God knows it, and Jesus knows it, and Peter knows it. They all know it. That we need something, and I think we know it as well. 
We need something that is stronger than our weak attempts to retreat and to isolate when things get difficult. We do. I know me. I'll go be alone. Right? I need something that is stronger than my weak attempt to separate myself from it when things get difficult or somebody hurts my feelings or whatever. See, we can't follow Jesus alone. It's been said that Christian community is a mirror that reflects back to us who we really are. That you can't hide in the community around Jesus, but also the truth is you don't need to. You know, we find that community you don't need to. Um, so it, it, community is so essential to us in, in, in intentional spirit because we've chosen it, and it's in that community that we're both exposed and encouraged. It's a community of mutual confession and love and support and forgiveness. Um, and then finally, the context, and this is where we're done. Sorry, I talked a little longer than I thought. Um, the context in which all of this happens is... Um, is in the context of the Holy Spirit, and this is a, this is this is this is how Christian spiritual formation works, right? This is not dependent upon you or your efforts; it's dependent upon the presence of the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of God to do to do these things, to allow the teaching of Jesus and the community around the person of Jesus and the practice of Jesus to actually begin to shape us and who we're becoming. You see, Chattanooga is a is a formation engine, but the Holy Spirit of God is is stronger. Like <laughs> I believe that fundamentally, right? Um, Paul says in Ephesians chapter two that the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you, in the Holy Spirit. Now just think about that for a minute. About transformation, life to death. Life, death, life on the other side of death, that's transformation. And the, very same, the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Now that's the context in which spiritual formation around Jesus happens. So if the what is apprenticeship, the how of spiritual formation in the way of Jesus, intentionally choosing that above anything else. You know, and, and that's the paradigm, so we can talk more about it if you want. I'd love to talk about it. I'd love for you guys to think about it. and um, If you want to see it, I'll leave, I'll leave it up here. But um, I think about all of that. So for what is, is discipleship and the how is spiritual formation? I think about that moment in Luke chapter 7, I think it is, where, um, I don't know if you guys know the story or not, but there's a woman who's called a sinful woman in Luke 7, which means she's believed some things about life. She's believed some stories about life that aren't true. She's had some things done to her and done some things that cause her to be um, isolated and alone and ostracized in this community, right? Um, just think about the way habits and stories and relationships work in that paradigm that she's been formed into, into a certain kind of person, not even a certain kind of person, but a person who's seen in a certain kind of way by her society. Um, unfairly, probably. But she comes to Jesus, and uh, the story says that Luke tells us that Jesus is in this room with um, all these religious leaders, so a bunch of dudes who are like, really just gatekeepers and they're like eating with Jesus and this would have been like the worst place for her to be right not only was she not a dude she was like a sinful woman everybody knew it right everybody knew her story everybody knew what was going on this, I'm, I'm, I'm floored by the story because she like busts in this place she's like sitting there at the table she's like I'm in you know um, she gets to Jesus she washes his feet with her hair her tears it's amazing like amazingly poignant moment In the unsafest place in the world, she's like, if I can get to Jesus' feet, like I'll be safe. So she gets in there, she does that, and Jesus looks at her in the middle of all this, like just imagine the shock and outrage and all this stuff. Um, and he looks at her and he says, you're forgiving, go in peace. You're forgiving, go in peace. And I'm just mindful of that story when we talk about spiritual formation because there's this reality where she's come awake to some things, right? My life isn't going how I want to go. There's some stories I believe about life, some identity things that people said about me that aren't true, or they, maybe they are true, but they're not ultimately true. Does that make sense? And 
she said, I've come awake to some things. She goes, she has this encounter. So some of you are probably at the place of encounter where Jesus, like, I don't know where your stories are, but like that's a powerful moment. But the place of encounter with Jesus and forgiveness, it leads to a process of discipleship. And early church history tells us this is probably Mary Magdalene, some people think it is, it's her story. She becomes this like passionate follower of Jesus. She sees him alive, like one of the first people to see him alive on the other side of death. Like she's a she's a disciple and apprentice of Jesus because of this moment. So it's a moment of transformation. I think a lot of us have we, a lot of us have that encounter moment. And it's beautiful, it's amazing. But but discipleship isn't just an encounter, it's a process. It's a life that he invites us into. And so I think in her story it's, it's this moment. Whether or not it's her, I think people argue about it, but I thought I think it is. Um, it makes it work for the story. But I, I do think that there's this this moment of encounter. And then there's the invitation into transformation. It takes a, a lifetime, right? And that's what we're looking at inviting us into. So um, does that make sense? Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll have the afternoon. God, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to come awake. Um, you invite us into obedience. I pray that you would just like drive deep into our hearts the reality that to be obedient to you is safe. Um, and it's good because you're a good father and a good king who loves us and wants the best for us and wants to lead us into transformation, into new life, into um, to life on the other side of, of, of the dead places and the dead things and the dead spaces in our hearts and in our stories. And so but I pray that you would help us to pursue um, pursue you in discipleship, um, enabled by grace, empowered by your Holy Spirit, but into choosing your way, Jesus, that you would help us to wake up and to choose, um, choose life, to make a choice, um, knowing that you are faithful to meet us on the other side of that choice and to lead us in transformation, that we don't transform ourselves, but you do the transformation. Lord, I pray that you help us to come away to the stories we believe, to the habits we partake in, to the relationships that we've chosen out of ease and preference, and that you would move us into a space where we would be um, discipled and shaped by, by your vision for life, Jesus, by what you teach and what you tell us is true, by the things that you invite us to, into, Jesus, by the community of faith you've given us and you've called us to be a part of, and by the power of your Holy Spirit that lives among us and makes all things possible. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you. Thank you.